Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast, a podcast intended not just for parents or caregivers, but individuals seeking guidance around challenging behaviors or recurring and negative patterns in your life. Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast aims to have you asking, who am I parenting here, my child or myself? This podcast has a vision of you, the adult, stumbling upon a new relationship with the child you once were. Parenting is no easy task, but it doesn't have to be a burden. We are happy you are here. This is Julie, and welcome to episode 13 of Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. Today, this is the third of a four-part series with Rick Kelly, the Parenting the Restorative Way series. Today's episode is entitled Parenting with Growth in Mind, How to Talk to Kids and Support Resiliency. And Rick introduces two concepts. One is the growth mindset, and the other is the fixed mindset. And so just in brief, what he means by this or what Carol Dweck means by this, Dweck, D-W-E-C-K, is that a fixed mindset is you either got it or you don't. And a growth mindset is you can do it. And understanding the various ways of approaching uh, challenges, obstacles in life, the effort that's put forth, the criticism and the success of others and how you deal with that and how the growth mindset leads to a desire to learn and a tendency to embrace things like challenges where a fixed mindset leads to a desire to look smart and therefore a tendency to avoid challenges as an example. And so I really like the differentiation between that and Rick goes pretty extensively into those two mindsets and so it'll be curious and I encourage you all as you're listening to that and not through judgmental eyes but through curiosity what it is that you view yourself as a parent in terms of how you see the capability capacity or the potential in your child and basically how or why focusing on accomplishment versus efforts is not helpful. And so again, it's not to induce shame into you as a parent, but just to inform, uh, hey, I'm recording this podcast and I have a very angry teenager. I had to set some limits around online gaming and um, he had some pretty choice words to uh, to share with me and it's all in the, the name of the game and 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 that's the the parenting the caregiving role and and it is what it is and sometimes they say super hurtful things but uh, we really do just have to take it all with stride and um, sometimes I I laugh because I was like if there was a textbook description about your irrational you know behavior right now um Obviously, I don't laugh when they're being irrational towards me because that would be triggering for him. But uh, I just kind of have to smile because he's very developmentally appropriate in his irrational behavior around me setting some limits around something that he really, really wants to do. And so uh, there's a celebration there as a parent that, you know, we're at this point where I'm not changing diapers anymore. It's not about me introducing vegetables and into his diet. It's about new, uh, new stage in my life as a parent, but also um, continuing to support that resiliency and um, being able to set boundaries, essentially, in, in my instance there. So I definitely don't claim to be any kind of expert in your life, and I never will. Um, and the goal for my podcast is really just to continue to embrace that, that parenting caregiver giver role and that we really are in this together and the sharing of information. So whatever you gain from this series, this podcast, or any of other of the podcasts that I've presented, uh, I just am happy to know that. And so um, 
please feel free to share your comments and you can do that over on iTunes at hashtag parenting dot 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 who question mark podcast. And Rick also he talks about this in and this is definitely a part of the training as uh, as well as the actual work in the restorative circles that I did previously in a court, court diversion program that I was a volunteer for um, restorative questions and responsibility taking. So stopping and rather than saying that famous, why did you do that, which is a really great and quick way to shut a child down emotionally, uh, it's not helpful. And uh, we've talked in previous podcasts about how that induces shame. But restorative questions and responsibility taking, Rick talks today about asking what happened and giving space for the child to think about that. What were you thinking at the time? And again, giving space for the child to think about that. What have you thought about since? Who has been affected by what you did? What, in what way were they affected? And what do you think you need to do to make things right? And you can see it's a, going to be a very different way of communicating with your child when you're coming from this angle. There's going to be some time that has to be taken in order to get through these rather than that quick one-off, why did you do that? And listen, I've done it as a parent. I was parented that way. And most likely most of you listening have been and have even used that. And so it really isn't about you being an imperfect parent and making that statement or asking that question, but also realizing there's a certain tone that comes with it too. And oftentimes it's, uh, it's out of anger. And as Adults, we want that logic in that silly thing that the child did. And, you know, I use silly fairly loosely. There's obviously, as the kids get older into the teenage years, they can get into some pretty serious stuff. But I've even seen this these questions work, like I said, in that restorative circle context. And um, it's tremendously powerful when we can encourage people to come from a place of taking responsibility and these questions are very much designed to uh to encourage that so as i was saying it's 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 going to take some time it's not going to be something that if you're busy rushing out to some kind of appointment it might need to be something that you come back and address at a later point in time and uh, that'll be important moving forward so Uh, Before I say too much more, and Rick really does a much better job at explaining all of this to me, it's absolutely his passion. And as always, I really enjoy my chats with him, and I hope that you all enjoy this. Mm -hmm. Hi, hi, Rick. Good morning, and welcome back to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. How are you today? Hi. I'm uh, actually very well. Um, Nice and warm. Um, so it's like a walking sauna. <laughs> and you? Um, yeah, actually, it's 24 degrees here today. It's absolutely gorgeous this morning. But I know that the humidity, we had a big storm again last night, and uh, the humidity's coming. It's mm. going to get pretty hot today. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you have to get ready for it. Yeah. And it can be unpleasant if you're going to be outside, you know, it's a bit too much for us Canadians mm-hmm. that aren't mm-hmm. used to that heat. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So today is uh, the third of a series of four in our parenting. Yeah. The Restorative Way series, and today our episode yeah. title is uh, Parenting with Growth in Mind, How to Talk to Kids and support resiliency. And so we've done other episodes for someone who may be listening at this one for, as a first, uh, the first right. two mm-hmm. were entitled Parenting the Restorative Way, Relationships, Power, and Expectations. And then episode mm-hmm. uh, 12 was Parenting Without Shame, Restorative and Respectful Discipline. And then today is mm-hmm. Parenting with Growth in Mind, How to Talk to Kids and Support Resiliency. And so I'm just going to let you take it away, and and we'll just go from there, Rick. Okay, so um, the idea behind this session was to build on the previous two sessions. So it's taking, you know, what we've been talking about in terms of parenting 
and the key role of relationships as a foundation for parenting, which almost sounds like stating the obvious, mm -hmm. um, but it's making that idea of relationships um, much more intentional. On that, it was, you know, what we talked about was um, how to parent um, using the authority in the parenting role that actually allowed you to share power uh, and, and develop a relationship that can um, sort of evolve as kids develop over time. And then the second, in the second session, we talked about um, the issue of shame and how shame um, is such a powerful and toxic um, emotion that it can easily shut down kids and youth when we're trying to engage with them. So that's where we're looking at um, how to engage in this that didn't, you know, sort of invoke blaming and shaming. So that's kind of, you know, what we were building on um, and laying the foundation around. And then today, um, what I thought would make a lot of sense was to actually look at, you know, how can we talk to kids in a way that, you know, supports um, growth um, and fosters resilience. So what, you know, I've, I've done is sort of blend kind of, there's a set of restorative questions that we'll look at. Um, and I've blended that with um, what we know about sort of what's called a growth mindset. Um, because that's the, the foundation of supporting resiliency. So that's kind of the overall framework around what we're talking about today and how we got to this point. Mm -hmm. Sounds really so great. So maybe I should talk about growth mindset. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that would be helpful, uh, because I think it's a really simple but powerful framework in that. And there's been a lot of research around it, but also I think when we, you know, sort of um, match it up against our own experiences, uh, it makes only so much sense. So when we talk about a growth mindset, it's understood in contrast to what's called a fixed mind. So let's, you know, start with um, what a fixed mindset looks like. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about, we'll use the idea of kids, um, is how they view uh, themselves and their capabilities um, and their capacity and their potential. Uh, so a fixed mindset says, um, basically, um, if you're smart, you're smart. If you're not smart, you're not smart. Uh, if you're good looking, you're good looking. And if you're not, you're not. Uh, if you're good at sports, um, you're good at sports. Uh, and if you're not good, then you're not good. And so what that does is it kind of fixes um, ideas and notions around people's and kids' capability in terms of um, what they do do and also what they're able to do. Uh, what they're able to do, it sort of takes that away from them, doesn't it? Exactly. And that's, and that's just it. Like if you imagine, a, you know, the fixed mindset, it's almost like it freezes kids in terms of expectations, either be high or low. Mm -hmm. um, so an example would be, you know, kids who are intelligent. Um, so they're able to do well in all sorts of areas, potentially. Um, so that becomes an idea, and they oftentimes get reinforced around that. However, the challenge is, is for, you know, kids who happen to be blessed with um, natural intelligence, when they're, you know, um, faced adversity, um, setbacks, um, and sometimes failure, because the focus has been on accomplishment and not effort and how they go about uh, accomplishing the various things they're able to, um, then they don't have a sense of their own ability um, to deal with what are very natural challenges in life and that. Um, so that doesn't, you know, help them understand um, how they were able to do the things that they're able to do. And, you know, the converse is for kids who aren't blessed with natural intelligence. If they walk around with that message that, you know, they're not smart, they can't do math, um, and that's fixed in time, then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy um, and a set of expectations that rather than living up to their potential, they live down to it. Mm. I've actually heard this, the teachings of Dr. Gordon Newfeld. he's talked a little bit about this, so I might look yep. that up. Yeah, mm -hmm. I might put a link to if I can find something that relates to that. And it has to do, his uh, angle on it was the research and how the research in North America was provided. And I know where my written notes are that have the details of that, and I'll have to... Uh, I'll uh, mention that in the uh, in the intro for this episode. As I as I'm hearing you, Rick, this is so powerful, and it provides such a context and perspective 
for even when you say, you know, if a child's smart and they accomplish things, but they lack the focus, they lack the sense of ability to understand how they could do such a thing. But in working in a pediatric mental health facility, I can tell you that this is an interesting, I guess Mm -hmm. if you want to call it a phenomenon, in the sense that these really high kids, and then all of a sudden life catches up with them and they literally crash and burn. And it's like, Everyone right. in their, the person themselves and everyone in the family is kind of putting their hands up going, whoa, how did we get to this place so fast? Like it can be devastating for kids and their families. Right. And, you know, and that often can happen around, you know, particular sort of developmental milestones, you know, when kids move from puberty into adolescent um, or they move from, say, grade eight into high school or high school into college or university or into the trades. Um, all of those are um, huge developmental opportunities, but they can turn into a crisis mm-hmm. if you know kids aren't aware of how they got to where they got to and just assume because they'd always been successful, mm-hmm. they always would be successful. Um, and, and as we know, you know, any you know, sort of ability to be competent is based on practice and developing um, continuous skills and the ability to problem solve Mm -hmm. um, so that kids to be resilient, then really what we need to do is to foster um, a better understanding of kids of how they do things and how they problem solve. Um, You know, an example would be, um, you know, we'll just say if a kid got a certain mark on math, um, what was a, a B? Do they know how they got the B, or do they just focus on the 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 actual grading that they got? Mm-hmm. And if everybody just focuses on the the grade and doesn't look at you know what they were able to do, but also what they weren't able to do, then they can't you know how they did things to improve what they need to do. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where it becomes a fixed mindset. If we you know it's almost like fixating. Um, it's the same sort of thing if, you know, if, if people fixate on, you know, appearance um, and say to someone, well, you know, you're good looking um, and that's all that's, you know, stated mm-hmm. and we don't look at sort of like inner qualities, then what it does is it can skew a person's and kid's sense of their own self-esteem because mm-hmm. self-esteem, you know, shouldn't simply be based on appearance. Um, there's much more to Um, the worth of a person and the esteem of a person. Well, and that external uh, comment from someone else that doesn't help someone's self-esteem. It really just is a superficial comment that someone is making based on their own, their own ideas. And something you just said made me think of, and if I could share this, uh, I was 17 Mm. when I, when I got my driver's license (laughs) And mm-hmm. um, back then it was very different. It wasn't the graduated licensing system that we have here now in Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I felt like I was ready to go do my driver's, uh, the in-car driver's um, test where the person comes mm-hmm. and sits with you and they grade you and you can get your full license and drive on your own or not. And uh, I remember mm-hmm. I felt, I don't know, 95% ready and but I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I went ahead and I did the test and I failed Mm -hmm. and I had a a Mm -hmm. yellow sheet and he put X's in the things that I didn't know. And I was like, perfect. Now I can take this (laughs) and this is what I can work on. But I I actually felt stuck before I knew what it was that I had to work on because I didn't have the bigger context of what he was going to be grading me on. So that's what makes me, uh, when you're talking about the grades and focusing on the B and really truly understanding what you could versus what you couldn't do, is that's kind of what you're talking about. Is that right? Exactly. And and I think it's a, a nice sort of image when we talk about, you know, you know, not knowing what we don't know. But what we really want to do is help kids and equip them to deal with the unknown. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, really what resiliency is all about. Because if we, you know, look at it broadly, you know, we are all faced with situations that come up that we've never had experience for. Mm-hmm. So how do we cope with that? Uh, and if we've always been told that, say, we're smart, mm-hmm. that may not necessarily have anything to do with a particular um, situation. 
Um, you know, if a young person's getting a job at Tim Hortons, um, smart may not have anything to do with customer service or being able to deal with stress or pressure and what, what have you. So helping kids understand, you know, how to, you know, problem solve, to be innovative, up with solution, and also how to cope emotionally with those challenges are the things that will help kids make those really transitions. And I think that's, you know, probably why we see in some regard it's such a crisis of mental health for many kids leaving home, going into college and university. Yeah, um, that they, you know, are in a new situation. Um, they may have been, you know, very good in their community, in their context, their high school, mm-hmm. but they're faced with all sorts of um, situations that actually require that they, you know, be able to function like independently, mm-hmm. but also work their way through various situations. And the reason I flag that is because I think you begin um, with kids in terms of, you know, where they will be in the future when they're younger. So I think at a very young age, um, helping kids um, develop this sort of, you know, what's called a growth mindset, which is the ability to, you know, learn from mistakes, you know, embrace challenges, um, be able to, um, you know, sort of accept feedback, um, to put in effort, you know, without sort of immediate outcome and realize that obstacles really um, are simply opportunities in disguise that can be mastered. We do that, then what it does is then it equips kids for each one of those developmental stages that they will uh, come across. So it's like, you know, kids that are, you know, before puberty, helping them, you know, with whatever those sort of day-to-day tasks would be in kindergarten and grade one and talking to them about, you know, how they, you know, cope with those things that come their way in that. So I think, you know, when we invest in kids at a young age, really what we're doing equipping them for later life in terms of you know further schooling and jobs and also relationships Mm -hmm. I'm just going to repeat what you said there Rick because it was really really great you were talking about a growth mindset and teaching kids from an early age learn from their mistakes embrace challenges accept feedback uh, put in effort without immediate outcome and obstacles are opportunities in disguise. Those are those are really big. Right, exactly. And, and you know, again, you know, if, I think for parents, if they can reflect on their own sort of upbringing and, you know, some of the lessons that they learned in that mm-hmm. um, and some of the, you know, sort of good, you know, mentors that they had in their lives and role models, um, I think a lot of can, can relate to the fact that, you know, nothing comes easy, that, you know, it takes work um, and hard work. And, you know, if you if you mastered any sort of skill, whether it's, you know, a sport or, uh, you know, some form of artistic expression, musical instrument or dance or riding horses, any of those things, I think everybody can relate to the fact that this all takes time. In fact, you know, some of the research um, suggests that to get good, it takes 10,000 hours of practice. Mm. Um, and, the, and practice then is part of the work in that. So nothing comes easy. And I think, you know, what a lot of people are also saying is one of the dilemma countering with sort of, you know, the younger generation for some is that they don't want to put in the effort. Mm-hmm. But I think part of it is that, you know, we, you know, are not encouraging as much um, as really would give us the kind of the results we'd like to see. Mm-hmm. You cut out a little bit, but I think you said you, uh, it's about encouraging the hard work, essentially. Is that what you were saying? And the hours? Right. And- yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and whether it work or just simply work, that before, you know, you can kind of get into the, the big game, as they say, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of uh, warm up to get to that. Um, so it simply requires, you know, effort, practice, and some sort of commitment and persistence. And those are all qualities of you know, of, of resilience again, um, that, you know, if kids can sort of persist with, um, whatever task it is or a job that they don't like, um, or whatever, then they're actually developing skills. And that's where I think, you know, some of our attention as parents needs to Mm -hmm. go to is the, the efforts 
um, that, you know, that the kids put in, uh, you know, I've watched it with, you know, my sons in terms of jobs they've had when they were, mm-hmm. um, in their early teens and they, you know, didn't necessarily like the jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, but we encouraged there, um, and, and really recognized the fact that they persisted, uh, even though they didn't like it. Uh, as my one son says, he'd like to have his dream job. I said, you don't get there until uh, much later down the road. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm laughing because I'm having a very similar conversation with my teenagers. And when I was 15, mm-hmm. my first job was a uh, bus girl. So clean off the uh, tables after people. Yep at a restaurant and uh, I also had yep. to clean the public washrooms and I still cringe to this yep. day about how much I absolutely hated that and so Rick this is kind of a neat story and it wasn't one I planned to talk about but I'll share uh, the mm-hmm. same restaurant that mm-hmm. I worked at my son actually is working for the exact same owners who are yep. still in business and have a yep. gas and uh, every once in a while, the the my boss at the time, he's quite older now, but um, he'll go over and he'll get my son to clean the washroom in the gas station, and he gets so yep. angry. But I I'm literally laughing because I now being older yep. really appreciated how there was never a yep. moment you were allowed to sit and do nothing. Like if you were doing nothing, he would yep. you know have you Windex the balcony outside or something silly that you would never think to do but he wasn't going to see you standing around and he's still doing that and he's working with my son and so as much as it drives my son crazy I remind him like I actually know what you're talking about because I worked for this guy did the exact same thing to me but I'm telling you that I really appreciate that work ethic, mm-hmm. that, that strong, strong work ethic that he instilled in me at an early age. Right, exactly. And, and I can relate because also I in high school for five years in a restaurant. So mm-hmm. I worked my way up from the bottom, which was then we had to uh, manage a, a hog slop. Um, mm-hmm. sort of barrel where all the um, remains went to the pig farmer so we got a good deal on bacon um, and I worked my way up to becoming a waiter um, but there was a lot along the way um, which I think they you know and I think what we sometimes don't realize is those are investments for down the road mm-hmm. um, there's an immediate sort of learning but at the time as we know with our uh, young people they're not necessarily giving us feedback that they're learning anything. In mm-hmm. fact, they kind of present it as, you know, um, this is, you know, unfair, unacceptable, what have you. But you know, I, I would bet on it that there is a, a real return down the road because they learn all sorts of skills. And some of them have to do with, you know, well, how do you do something that you don't like doing? For a long period of time mm-hmm. um, that's often you know a component of life we've all got jobs um, and things that we have to do mm-hmm. it's not that we get to choose everything that we like to do um, so we have many responsibilities that way mm-hmm. so I think these sort of opportunities you know and you, and you can scale it down and once again you can scale it down to younger kids and that's you know giving them you know responsibilities around the house and you know, responsibilities around pets um, and chores and things like that. Um, those things, I think, you know, are all kind of pathways to developing um, various skills that will stand them in good stead down the road in that. And, you know, and it's never perfect. And there'll be fits and starts and what have you. That's all part of what learning is all about, is to have also some, you know, kind of, you know, not necessarily failure, um, but, you know, sometimes failure can be a good teacher as well and to, you know, see what can be learned from that as well. Mm-hmm. And I think I like what you were saying about scaling it down for younger kids and, you know, creating responsibilities mm-hmm. around pets and little things around the house. And what came to mind for me, just in the spirit of adults who are likely the ones listening to this podcast and, uh, saying, okay, well, that's all well and good, except it's easier and quicker if I do it myself. And so then they lose that consistency and they get frustrated and they step in, which, you know, I appreciate that that happens. I guess what I'm thinking as you're talking Mm -hmm. and in the spirit of growing that growth mindset and resilience in your child, I would be suggesting that whatever it is that you're, and again, we're talking littler ones here, but don't have it be a huge list 
things. Have it be make sure no. that Kitty has water. You know, have it be something so small that yeah. it's not going to be an enormous task yeah. on you if the little one isn't actually fulfilling that commitment or that responsibility because we know that's going to happen. Um, because don't you agree that it's more exactly. about, yeah, it's more about taking that step back, recognizing, okay, I'm very impatient mm -hmm. and frustrated, but I'm actually also doing my job as a parent, which is creating this little resilient being. So I need to give yep. space for those times where maybe they aren't doing the water and then that creates a conversation and a learning opportunity. Right, exactly. And I think the best way to approach, you know, any set of responsibilities is to chunk it to you know make it manageable and also set kids up for success in that so i think scaling it you know according to what you think can do and what's reasonable will then also create a great opportunity to talk about success as well so you're also building their own self-esteem as well by giving them things that they can do versus things um, that might be overwhelming in that it's kind of like you know saying to kids clean your room um, particularly if you have a you know, child that tends to be, you know, somewhat scattered, which I can mm -hmm. speak from, mm -hmm. from personal experience. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I approach my room. And um, I have one. But, you know, <laughs> I have one of those at home. to be sort of focused and framed. Yeah. So none of this is sort of, you know, foreign and it's not asking people to do things that's outside of the realm. Um, it's all making it sort of manageable, but also, and that's where it, you know, becomes part of the conversation. Um, and using particular um, ways of having conversations and, and questions that, that lead kids to understand um, what it is that, you know, they should be doing or how to take responsibility. And maybe that's the place where I can just talk about some of the questions that typically we use um, when we're wanting to get kids to talk about um, being responsible in that. So there's a half in questions um, that we use in all sorts of contexts when we have restorative conversations. Uh, and and I, I'm just going to go through them and then talk a little bit about what the thinking is behind them. So the idea is basically you want to avoid blaming and shaming. Um, you don't want to be pointing, you don't want to be telling kids what they should do or telling them what you think because all of those things blame, shame, and shut down kids. So if you're going to have a conversation with your child, um, this is what is found to be a lot more effective. So there's, as I said, there's a half a dozen questions. So if you had a situation where your child needed to take responsibility and they didn't, um, you'd begin by asking simply what happened. Then you'd ask them, you know, what were they thinking at the time? And then you ask them, what have they thought about since? And then you'd ask them who's been affected by what they did and in what way and what do they think uh, they need to do to make things right? So they're really simple questions, but what they do is they kind of approach the kid in a way that's not blaming. It's, it's kind of exploratory. By asking what happened, you're just saying, you know, tell me about the facts, what happened here. But then what you want them to do is to, you know, start to, you know, generate some insight. So what were they thinking at the time? Now, a lot of times in my direct experiences, when I've, you know, used this with my own kids and lots of other kids, is they'll, they may very well say, well, but I wasn't. I wasn't thinking because mm. they were reacting impulsively or whatever, mm -hmm. and they're just responding in the moment. That's why it's good to then ask, so what, do you, what have you thought about since? Because then it allows them some time to, ref, you know, use their reflection. Um, and a lot of times, second thoughts are, are oftentimes our better thoughts. Then you, what you want them to do is to then think about, okay, so what are the impacts of what you did? So who's been affected by what you did? So it could be a pet if we're talking about you didn't give them the water. Mm -hmm. uh, and in what way? So you're helping them, you know, develop some insight into the impact of, of their behaviors and their choices. And then you move to asking them, what do you think you need to do to make things right? So then that gives them an opportunity to repair any of the kind of the missed opportunities and responsibilities, but also it allows to restore themselves and, and if they've affected the relationship um, to be able to restore the relationship at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's where this becomes um, what's called a restorative approach in that. It's focused on repair and restoring. Um, it's looking at solutions, not blaming 
or just focusing on the problem. And what it really does is it gives um, kids an opportunity to think about, you know, their own actions and how they've impacted on other people. And that's part of where, you know, you generate empathy when, when, you know, when we're aware of our impacts on other people, when kids are aware of their impact on um, their friends or their siblings or the family, then that gives them different information to make some decisions about. So it's also for to, towards the future. Um, it gives them an idea of just the um, sort of the consequences, the natural consequences of things that they do or things that they don't do that are problematic. So that's where you're building them towards um, the future in terms of their own thinking. Because as we know, any skill needs practice. So does thinking about responsibility and thinking about our own actions. We need to constantly, you know, reflect on how we're affecting other people. And part of this, because it's not a blame thing, it allows, you know, everybody to talk about the impacts of behavior, which a lot of times the impacts are unintended. Um, and that's where that awareness around how they've affected others becomes very important. It's a window on, you know, sort of their relationship and responsibility to other people. Well, and I think that in a way it also even comes back to, uh, I don't know if it necessarily fits the growth mindset aspect, but when we're working with kids who are, we're, you know, growing and developing into adults, there's when you say oftentimes the impact is unintended, uh, yeah, I mean, the majority of time, there are going to be those that are maybe unwell and are making unhealthy decisions based on some serious mental yep. health and, and that sort of thing. Yep. As the adolescent years are the identity formation years, so who we are and where we fit in into this world, we want to be creating opportunities for our young people and it's not even just you parenting a child it can be you in the community so one of the things that happens all the time is teenagers will go into a store and the adults in the store will immediately mm -hmm. think that they're bad kids and that they're going to steal things and so they treat them in that certain way and it leaves those kids feeling and I know this because it's happened to my own kids and I work that it's happened to and it really does something to who they are. And it says something about, um, it's very confusing for them. Exactly. Well, and I think that's where then there's another set of questions that can be asked when kids have been affected uh, negatively by mm -hmm. other people's behaviors and that. So it's similar um, in that you ask them, you know, uh, what happened to them, but then you ask them how they've been affected and in what way and what's been the hardest thing for them and then what is it that they need. So when, you know, young people, and I'm often dealing with, you know, adolescents in particular, they're being affected negatively by perceptions of other people. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, I, you know, work with them around. So what is it that you need to do? You know, how can you take action around this? How can you, you know, be a voice around this and help them be assertive around a lot of mm -hmm. times these judgments that are poorly um, placed and misplaced against them and that. Mm -hmm. So there's, an, you know, as I say, there's another set of questions for those kids who've been in situations where they've been harmed by the actions of other people. Nice. Yeah. You know, and like a lot that. of time, and this, you know, this, and this, you know, as we know, um, a lot of times comes up around uh, bullying. So, you know, it's um, a great opportunity to use these questions when kids have been, you know, um, you know, outright bullied, but also just when they've been, you know, in peer situations where they've been, uh, you know, sort of a hurt in some way by their peers and that. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, you know, um, you can approach it, situations, you know, from the point of view where kids need to take responsibility or um, where kids um, have been harmed by others and uh, they need to um, have the opportunity to be heard um, in relation to the harms that they've, they've encountered and, and been affected by. Mm -hmm. So it works in both ways. And that's mm -hmm. where, you know, sometimes then what you may want to do is then um, use these questions and bring um, everybody affected together. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so say you, you know, imagine for a moment, you know, so your child had done something that affected others in the family or just one person, but every, but actually everybody is affected. So what you do is use these questions as a framework to sit down as a family and talk about, you know, you know, the impact of one person's behavior on others and then actually have those people who were negatively affected or harmed by the uh, that person talk about what those impacts were. Mm-hmm. Because it goes back to, again, a lot of times we're not aware, just in general, of how we impact on others. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, oftentimes very, you know, just naturally a lot of unintended consequences mm-hmm. or we're just not aware. Mm-hmm. So by letting, you know, kids sit down in their own family and to hear from people. And and I think a lot of times this can be very good for parents to go through this with their kids and say, okay, so if you didn't, you know, um, you know, give water to your pet, this is how it affected me. This is how it affects me. You know, mm-hmm. I have to think about this. I've got other responsibilities. Um, it, it leads me to be uh, frustrated with you, which I don't want to be. And so that's where, you know, you start these, conversations around the emotional life uh, of, of individuals and mm-hmm. it helps kids start to you know develop a, a deeper sense of what's going on mm-hmm. and sort of generate the empathy that's really important for you know just sort of being with other people and I think unfortunately there is an assumption and this is based on our own stuff as adults and what we bring into that parent uh, or caregiver child dynamic that because you often hear this well they should know they should know I knew that when I was a child right I had to do this when I was a child and yeah I think that if we just if we just really just disregard that altogether and think about the role in the here and now which is you parenting this person and making the assumption that they don't know and how can we the conditions for them to be able to learn learn this stuff and I think that times are very different for children now and we can't possibly know or assume that they should know a certain something based on your experience that did not involve something like social media and access to to news and information that we didn't have as children and so that's just one really quick example that I think most people would understand but there's others there's others to that um right yeah well whenever I do workshops around this I have a big sign uh, that I put up um which says that we tend to should all over each other yes Uh, and people get a good laugh out of that but then they realize that underlying the shoulds is, like you said, assumptions. And the other thing that we know about assumptions is that they make an ass of you and me. Yeah. So if you break down the words mm-hmm. or the letters in it and that. So, yeah. And that's where, once again, these questions that I talk about move away from assumptions. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it allows you, say as a parent, to, to kind of get into the head of your child and understand about at the time or what they've thought about since. And I think when we can appreciate, you know, what's going on for them and depending on, you know, what the issues are for that particular child. um, And if, you know, they involve, you know, more intense emotions and not just the day to day, um, you know, but, you know, um, depression or sadness or anxiety, the more we can understand um, how they're seeing the world and what they're thinking about it, the better then we can be as a parent with that, with our child, because we can appreciate just what's happening for them and start with them around what they need, um, but also kind of be on that journey with them. Mm-hmm. And it's not that power and control. It's really them feeling like they're in the driver's seat of their life, which is what we want. With respect to the questions that you were, um, the restorative mm-hmm. questions, people, yeah. can, people can ask these questions without, so for example, like I recognize and acknowledge that bringing an entire family together and asking these questions is very beneficial. Yeah. In some yeah. instances, that's not going to be possible. You're not saying that for exactly. all cases, but there is nope. still so nope. much benefit to having the one person 
ask those questions, you know, even an older, uh, or even as an adult, maybe listening to this, yeah. asking those questions just to yourself and doing that reflection yourself. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot. So it's not that we need to ask those questions and expect answers because sometimes I think people think, okay, well, I'll do this, but that's going to change the outcome and the other person's going to like me for the harm that I did. No, that might not be the case. The other person might not be ready to, no. and, and that's okay. People can still do these questions, these restorative type questions to better themselves. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I think the way to look at it is that it's a continuum. Um, so you can do it with yourself you can do it with another person. You can involve more people um, as you as as is required. And it as and also as as part of it being a continuum, you also need to figure out timing. So when do you ask, um, and when do you involve other people? Um, so there's what that says to me is there's lots of ways of using the questions. Um, and lots of opportunities. So you're not locked into doing it one way. Um, mm -hmm. I just know, you know, as a parent, but also as a professional, mm -hmm. I use the questions all the time spontaneously. Um, it's just become, um, you know, sort of second nature for me. Mm -hmm. um, and what it does is it, you know, it's interesting how it guides uh, conversations mm -hmm. and also what it does is it slows down things too because you want to get people to move away the heat of the moment mm -hmm. um, and possibly their anticipation of being shamed and blamed to to be able to think about themselves so they can actually be their best selves yes and that's what you know you know having a set of questions allows people to do that are these particular ones it slows down the process mm -hmm. so that we can you know uh, everybody can think and the other thing to add in is and also you know use silence um, one of the mm -hmm. things that I think about is that there's kind of like an anatomy that has to do with, um, you know, sort of our our conversations with people. And if we, you know, imagine using sort of our eyes, our ears, um, our presence, um, then we can sort of, you know, be a witness. We can see what's happening mm -hmm. and we can hear what's happening. Mm -hmm. So there's a part of it is that, you know, Rather than forcing questions, um, you know, I just always think of the the example, and I'm, you know, um, a, a good example of a, tell me what you did. Well, that's forcing, um, mm -hmm. and and people don't respond, feeling some, you know, sort of shame um, and embarrassment to being forced to answer. So mm -hmm. that's where you know, if you be saying, well, tell me what happened, mm -hmm. you know, how this come to be. Um, it begins as a conversation mm -hmm. um, and then you can sort of build from there and you might need to do that over time mm -hmm. um, you know uh, you know uh, you know with my kids some are very uh, able to talk about things others are a lot more hesitant mm -hmm. um, and in my own work I know that's that's certainly the case in that that you know just naturally talking about things is not natural to lots of people mm -hmm. so to slow it down to give them some time so, you know depending on what you may want to have them draw out what happened mm -hmm. depending on what happened or depending on age like I use puppets and I use lots mm -hmm. of storybooks mm -hmm. um, as a way of talking about things that are similar but not exactly the same mm -hmm. so it kind of moves the the spotlight away from the one particular child so that they're able to you know have a bit of room to move yeah and even I'm somatically trained as well and so right. from a nurse yes. perspective that pause that space that um yeah opportunity it is helping the nervous system to settle so that the thinking brain can come back online and they can remember some of the yes. you right because that's what happens like exactly I wasn't thinking yeah I believe yep. you and sometimes parents are surprised when I say that because they think that no they actually know what they were doing and they were manipulating no actually they yep. weren't nervous system yep. so activated that their thinking brain shut off and they went into survival yep. instinct and so um you know taking that pause and uh and 
really in essence too, in doing that, you're helping the child to realize that their body can come back to calm, that their body can come back to that rational mm-hmm. thinking. And it builds not just resilience, but capacity, the capacity yeah. to confront what has mm-hmm. happened and rather than run away and not deal with it. I mean, there's lots of adults that the way that they deal with things is they avoid right. and it works well for them. It's allowed them to get to this you know, successful place in their lives mm-hmm. as an adult. But in essence, yeah. there's yeah. such a disconnect there, which really a lot of what this is, is about not even just reconnecting with self, but also that connection that parents yeah. grow in having those conversations with their children in a way that is that growth mindset rather than that fixed mindset. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what you want to foster is, you know, much more than just coping. We, we all cope in different ways in that, but you want to help um, your child um, be able to go beyond uh, and be able to make the, you know, good choices, be able to do the right thing and do the thing that's, you know, fits for them and, and, you know, what they need so they become more authentic and whole. Oh, this is lovely. I, I really enjoy our conversations and I'm enjoying this series so much. And so, Rick, if you have any last-minute thoughts, I'm just being mindful of time here today. Um, yeah. Please, yeah, please let me know. Okay. Well, I think the you know, if, if I was to kind of, uh, you know, summarize uh, what we've been talking about um, today, you know, I think the, the, the key element would be, you know, when we've got these sort of challenges with our kids um, and we need to have difficult conversations, what we want to really um, focus in on is making the problem the problem and not the child the problem. Mm-hmm. So how we have conversations will frame how our experience the conversation and what we're talking about. And we don't want, want to make them feel like they're the problem. Mm-hmm. We want them to um, see that, you know, there's a problem that needs to be talked about and we're there with them mm-hmm. and we're going to have a conversation that allows us to figure out exactly, you know, what happened, who was impacted, what are the responsibilities, and most importantly, what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can also relate to, you know, and, and bear on kids who've been harmed as well. Because, mm-hmm. you know, what do they need? What are they seeing that's important to them in their lives? And that the bottom line is, you know, make the problem the problem and yeah. not the person. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much wonderful stuff that comes with just contextualizing that. And as parents, caregivers taking that pause in that moment where there's an intensity of emotion that comes Mm -hmm. up and just reminding yourself of that. So much good can come from that. There's, I mean, we see it, right? And we know that. And uh, that's what we'd like to encourage. And I like that you said foster much more than coping. That was really good as well. So thank you. Exactly. Okay. So I think that will uh, wrap things up for this series. So it's the third of four. And then we have another one. Uh, It takes a whole village how to engage with professionals and others. So I'm looking forward to doing that one with you in the near future. All right, Rick, have a good, yeah, have a good rest of the day. Take good care. joining me today. Please remember that information provided in this podcast is not therapy and is not a substitute for receiving help from a licensed or regulated healthcare professional. For more information on this episode and links discussed here today, please see the show notes. Please also visit my website, which includes more resources and social media links, as well as ways of getting in touch with me at julieclarktherapy.com. 